Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From Decrypt.co, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, have you ever wondered if Bitcoin can rival gold, silver, or other precious metals? Well, that's the topic of this conversation today. How does it rival? First, we have to break it down. What does it mean to rival? What is it good at? What is it not good at? What do we use it for? What can't we use it for? Or which one would you want to use when things hit the proverbial fan? David Morgan is the author of The Silver Manifesto. And I have three copies of the Silver Manifesto to give away to you, plus some Bitcoin swag. So if you want to win a book and a t-shirt, go to Apple Podcasts. Starting today, which is the 20th, all the way until the 27th, I will only take comments that are written from those days in one week to enter your name into the competition. And I will pick a winner next Wednesday, the 28th, from the people who wrote a comment in the past week. So just to reiterate, go to Apple Podcasts, go to the podcast app, leave me a rating and a comment, and that enters you in to win a book and a Bitcoin t-shirt. Now I want to be clear. I want you to be honest. I'm not trying to get five-star ratings out of you. I want you to tell me exactly what you think of the show and be honest about it. Of course, I want five-star ratings. Of course, I want great comments, but that's not what I'm doing this. I'm doing this because the more comments I have, and I'm assuming that we're doing a good job here, so I'm confident to tell you to do it honestly. The more comments that we have, the better we do in search results. So be honest and good luck, and I will see you on the 28th to see who won the books and the t-shirts. Enjoy this conversation with David Morgan, and I will see you tomorrow. David, how you doing, man? Welcome to the show. I'm doing well. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. So what we're talking about today is we're talking about how cryptocurrencies could rival gold and silver. And you know what? This is one of those things that everybody talks about when we're talking about cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is the new gold or the digital gold. or And we don't know what that means. I, I, have, to, I have to say that when we say something is gold, I think we have to first understand what gold is. What is a precious metal? Can you explain that to us? Absolutely. My mission statement is to teach and empower people to understand the benefits of an honest financial or monetary system. And if you look at history monetarily, which is one of my main studies, you'll discover that gold and silver have been money throughout the millennia. They've been there for like 5,000 years. Every currency that's been unbacked has failed, and there's thousands of them throughout history. So the idea that the United States dollar is not going to fail is not well received because you know the statistics show. And if you look at the 1913 dollar worth 100 pennies, today by the Federal Reserve's own account that's worth about two and a half cents. So we're failing and we're now kind of arguing about how long is that last two and a half cents going to last? Whereas gold has been money for 5,000 years and silver has actually been money more often, more places and used more transactions than gold ever has. So if you're actually honest and totally truthful, you discover that silver is actually the monetary metal 
of all time. Thank you for that. But I really want to understand what is a precious metal and why is it precious? Like if we're saying that uh, gold or silver is used as money throughout history, you said 5,000 years in gold and silver even longer than that, which I'm going to get into in a second. But what does that mean and what makes it worth something? The majority, the people themselves. I mean, what has happened is if you go back and you'll hear this, you know, well, salt could be money and you know, cow hides could be money and that type of thing. And it's all true. But the actual reality is that people discovered and adapted to gold and silver. They're precious. Why are they precious? Because they're rare. They have value in and of themselves, especially silver, because it's got so many industrial uses, especially in a technological society. So basically, there's two theories of money. One is that it has intrinsic value and it's what people want. It's something that they can hold, they can look at, it has value in and of itself. And the other is lawful money, which is an edict. It was a mandate given by government itself that says you must accept this as money, you pay your taxes in this money, and we basically rule over you. So that is the two theories of money. Most of them have gone back to gold standard after a failure of the fiat. So you said that silver is was historically used more than gold. Why, why is that? What, what is it about silver? What's the properties about silver that made it more attractive than gold? We think of gold, if we think of the most valuable substance on earth, well, it, it isn't. But that's what we kind of think of is like the money, the, the, the gold standard. Why silver? Excellent question. It's due to the uh, unit value. An ounce of gold for the last several thousand years up until about the last 120 years has been at a ratio roughly of 16 to 1. So it took 16 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold. So gold is a transaction where you buy your house. Maybe in today's world, you buy your car. But when you buy your groceries, when you buy your clothes, when you pay your utility bills, when you trade with your neighbor, that transaction, those types of transactions were conducted in silver. Therefore, my statement is factually correct that silver is used in more transactions more often and a lot really uses what makes the world go round. So gold is like a long-term asset for wealth preservation, whereas gold is your daily transaction in in normal commerce. That's interesting. So it's is it right now the same price as 16 to 1 for gold? Silver not, to gold? Not even close. We hit a high ratio, which means silver was much less valuable relative to gold. In March, it hit a level of around 125. And the last time oh. it was at that level was in the Great Depression. And I made the comment, and it's backed up by fact, that the last time we got to that ratio, we saw a horrible uh, economic shift during the 1930s. And it wasn't just the Great Depression in the U.S. It was actually a worldwide situation. So my let's say, leap of faith, and it's not a good one, is that we're probably going to experience something similar again. Ooh, uh, we're going to go down the slippery slope of doomsday scenarios when it comes to our financial and monetary system in a minute. But uh, I want to go back to your comment on backing. You said that every currency that has failed throughout time is because it stopped being backed by something, uh, gold, silver, real estate, or, or anything like that. Can, I, can you tell me about that shift and I guess my question after you tell me about that historical shift, why, if we see historically that that would be the shift, would we not want to back our currency? The truth is that we, every time, almost every time that that happens, governments, banks are forced to go back on some type of, of a sound money system. And if you look at what happened uh, in the United States, if you go back to the founding of that and you look at the monetary history, 
uh, the Continental was an unbacked situation and it was a failure. And this is one of the reasons when the Constitution was written that it was put in that you could only coin money and it had to be gold or silver. So they had their own experience before they started the foundational document that was, you know, what we all know something about. So we were on a gold standard up until August 15, 1971. And believe me, when that Nixon took us off the gold standard and basically broke the contract with the world, basically reneged on our promise, everyone that was aware of monetary history, such as yours truly and many others that were, you know, my peers said, this isn't going to end well. And here we are today. It's not ending well. And when and when we got off the gold standard, was was that the Bretton Woods Agreement? That's when we got on it. It was. That's when we got on it. Yeah, yeah. After World War II, we needed stability. We needed something trusted, broken down. See, there's no trust issue with the precious metals, basically, unless they're counterfeited, which is rare. It could happen, but mostly it's I trust. Gold is gold. Silver is silver. So you've got something that you know in hand that doesn't isn't questioned by. Whereas if you go with a fiat, it's like, oh, what's the productive capacity of Canada? Or does Australia have more natural resources than Japan or this type of nonsense? None of that, although you hear that type of questioning on the internet, and you hear it even in lectures, really isn't true. Fiat is basically how much they print versus who the other guy, what the other nation state is printing. So which one's failing the fastest is like, who's printing the fastest? And then it comes down to reserve currency, which the U.S. still holds. So the belief system is, well, the dollar is the best. Dollars as good as gold. There's still people that think the dollar is as good as gold because it once was. And now we're at a point where this massive amount of fiat printing uh, added about 30% to the money supply over the last few months. Uh, this does not portend well for monetary history. We're looking at an inflationary rate that's going to exceed what the Fed's mandate of 2%, which is a ridiculous number, by the way. If you look at the truth, you're running about a 9% inflation in the United States right now. You know, I love that we created this base. And I think that we have not only historical, but we have like a, a current event. We, we've worked our way up to what we're going to talk about next, which is wh why does Bitcoin rival gold and silver? And I, we've already set the base of how it's backed by something that it's been used. Gold and silver, precious metals, has been used for millennium of, of being a of value. So why does Bitcoin have anything on gold or silver? Well, at the risk of being the last time on your podcast, it doesn't. However, let me continue. Bitcoin is not uh, digital gold. Uh, but what Bitcoin does have is what we might try and have tried, and it works fairly well. And that is a restricted money supply. That's what Bitcoin has. So it's equivalent to the treasury taking back the printing of the money and the issuance of the money. Right now, the Treasury prints the money for a private corporation called the Federal Reserve, which actually loans money to the United States. So that's why we have the debt. And the debt has to be paid back by the people at large. And it's impossible to pay it back at this point. So a restricted money supply means we only have so much. Therefore, it's more valuable because they're not creating more of it and diluting it. And so that's what Bitcoin has in common with a restrictive currency, which is much better than a print to infinity and crash the currency or have a currency crisis. Whereas gold is above and beyond that because it has intrinsic value of and of its, in and of itself. So I would say Bitcoin is not gold, but it is similar to a restricted currency, which is much more advantageous to the people at large. So if it doesn't rival gold and silver, but it does have that restricted um, sense to it, then what's the, what is the 
I would say, your opinion on the purpose or the use case of something like Bitcoin in our day-to-day life or within the global financial system in general? Thank you. Uh, I wrote an article that's still on the web, and it's called My Two Bits About Bitcoin. I think it's probably five years old by now. So you can look up that and read it. And I look, if I'm a free market type, uh, and I'm very much so, and the market knows more than me, or anyone else for that matter, that's my belief system, then who am I to say that Bitcoin isn't the next monetary system? I'm not. Let the market decide. And obviously, the market is very favorable to Bitcoin. So I think that's statement number one. Statement number two is my premise is that there'll be a melding of the two. There'll be a melding of the distributed ledger, the blockchain, and precious metals. And that will be the ultimate currency at one point in time. And I think it's in our near to longer term, midterm future. I don't think it's years out. I think it's actually it's taking place now. And this is, I think, the direction that people are going to head because a lot of these cryptos are well and good. And look at how many have some type of asset base. I mean, there's some that are backed by cobalt. There's some that are backed by real estate. There's some that are backed by foodstuffs. So I think this is the direction. People kind of want to know, well, what am I getting? Some don't. It's like, well, it's just an electronic digit. And it's the same, really, in theory, as the money supply now, the U.S. dollar, quote unquote dollar. And that's what I think we've got, we have to really examine. Excellent. I, I love that. I love that, you know, that you said that there's gonna be a bridge between, you know, Bitcoin and commodities and, and really hard assets. I, I personally also think that I don't think that everybody's gonna be running around with um, Bitcoins and, and purchasing yet. I think that Bitcoin, the blockchain does open up in a lot of avenues to one, put our assets within the blockchain, also be able to transact uh, borderless, you know, transactions around the globe, in a, in a way that we never thought of before, it's going to force in innovation from the banking system and financial system to figure out how to do this better if that it, fits into everybody's uh, needs and wants out of, of, of a financial system that we're not currently getting. And, you know, as well as protecting our value, the value of our wealth. I mean, <laughs> and the dollar that you're sitting in the bank is not worth as much as it was 20 years ago. And we all know that. Uh, where do you think we're going from here? That's what I want to know is where do you think we're going from here? You said that there's going to be a melding between technologies and hard assets and precious metals. Where do you think we're going? And can you do me a favor and juxtapose that with the inflation rate that you just said, nine, you think it's at 9%. You think that we just printed uh, 30% more dollars into the system right now uh, because of COVID and this whole you know stimulus package. Where do you think we're going and what is it going to look like? Well, we're going to go into an inflation that few people realize right now. There's a lot of problems in the food uh, situation on a global basis. So a lot of it will actually be driven by supply problems. But most people don't look that deeply and they'll see that their grocery bill is much more month to month. They'll also see, you know, a restaurant bill. Everything dealing with food will increase rather rapidly. And most Americans particularly will look at that as inflation. Part of it's inflation and part of it's supply. But what will happen is there'll be a shift in consciousness. And that's all it needs. This is how these monetary systems end. There's a rush to something that they trust. Right now, the whole system can't be trusted. And excuse my rant, but you can't trust basically the legal system. You can't trust the food supply if you're anti-GMO. You can't trust the political class. You can't trust the educational system. I mean, there's so many things that we now that are awake question. And so when everything involves money, I mean, it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. Everyone thinks about money and very few think what is it worth or what is it worth in the future. That paradigm is being questioned almost everywhere now with the increase in money supply. So I think that's the basis of where we're going to go. 
and we're going to look for something that's tangible that has held value for a long time and then how do i use it and that's where the blockchain is so important because in today's world where you have so many what's called unbanked these are people that don't have a bank account in indonesia is a very good example i think the percentage is something like 60 percent of the 30 year olds or younger do not have a bank account but they're very adept at using their phones to pay for goods and services and that's the direction we're going and i think the people that lead the melding between precious metals and cryptocurrencies are going to be in the lead because now it's on your phone you're not having it in your pocket you don't have to look at what the daily price is you just make the transaction are you a chicken little like look it's very easy to say that this could happen you know and we're saying you know uh right now we're talking about inflation and socialism where venezuela and zimbabwe is used as examples of you know monetary systems failing all around the world now we're seeing that this printed with covid uh that the fed printed a lot of money with covid and we're talking about we're talking about supply chain we're talking about all these other things but i mean if we just look back to the 2000s talking about y2k you know back in the 80s it was peak oil back in the 60s it was communism back in the 50s it was nuclear war there's always the the next uh you know bad thing that's going to happen everybody's you know saying that this is going to happen but you know everything just works out and it always does you know are we really going to see something that i mean of course you say well i don't know this is my this is what i'm thinking but Everybody's been wrong for the past, damn it, 80 years or so. Like, why should we care? Excellent question. And certainly I will admit that it's taken longer than I anticipated. But the fact is all fiat fails. That's three words. All fiat fails. If you go back to Voltaire, he says, all fiat reaches its intrinsic value of zero. And maybe we should say eventually. But that's the direction we're headed. I mean, you can look at a lot of, a lot of facts. One is what's the unemployment rate look like in the United States? You can look at the 2008 crisis, how many people lost their homes, never get them back. You can look at the wage squeeze. I mean, the basic ability for the average American to purchase goods and services has gone down since 1977, although the wages have gone up. Why is that? I'm making more quote unquote money. I'm getting more of it. Yes, but it's worth less basically every year. So that's your answer. All fiat fails. So all fiat fails. And I know that you said that there's going to be a shift in consciousness. Um, and that's when you're going to see money start to shift into other things like hard assets, precious metals, food, real estate, and so on and so forth. And maybe even Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. What do you think that the average person, because you just mentioned the average person, the average person should take out of this conversation? What should they do to prepare? And if it is sooner than later, then we don't have to wait another 80 or 160 years uh, for this quote unquote system failure and shutdown. What should they do to prepare for the maybe short term uh, in the short term of a global financial meltdown? Well, one of my favorite quotes is chance favors the prepared mind. It's a philosophical answer. I think the most you can do is to think it through, validate what I'm saying and have an attitude that says, I can adapt, I'm anti-fragile, whatever the, you know, happens in the, what I don't have control over, the money supply, the political class and all that, that I am mentally prepared to handle it. I think that's the key place to be. After that, you could get into reality. I mean, you could think about having extra food, you can think about doing a second job, you can think about starting an internet business. There's lots of things you can do that you do have control over. But I think the main one is attitude. We are in changing times, obviously, and they're changing rapidly. Another book that influenced me heavily was Future Shock. And it gets to the point where there's so many changes so rapidly that it's just blowing the minds 
of a lot of the populace because it's like, wow, I can't even keep up with this. So I think attitude is probably the most important and the realization that what I'm saying is basically true. Go ahead and challenge everything I've said. In fact, I think it's best. I think one of the main flaws in the educational system is we're not taught anything education-wise. And what does that mean? It means we're not taught to critically think. Think critically. Think things through. Use logic. Look at both sides and you will determine whether or not something is really valid or not. David, I want to say thank you very much for coming on and discussing this with us. And I really appreciate the history lesson and the you know philosophical back and forth about what could happen to our monetary system in the future. I hope it doesn't. But if it does, and I, I do appreciate what you said, that you know it is, a, it is mental preparedness. It is you know understanding that you can adapt. And actually, before I get off, I'm going to ask one question. This is my last question. You said that people should be mentally prepared for change and to adapt, future-proof themselves, understand how to, uh, that something is going to ruffle their uh, day-to-day life, their patterns, their habits, their day-to-day ins and outs, maybe. But what, what, what do you think they should specifically prepare for? And it's hard to, it's, it's easy to say prepare, know that there's going to be change. But, you know, some people don't have that option just to you know prepare for everything monetarily their health what do you think specifically people should do to prepare the best you can do is the best you can do which means you should live within your means you should save it doesn't have to be in precious metals or even fiat i mean you could acquire extra food if your budget allows but i really think the whole thing from a bigger perspective is value what do we value And my generation as a boomer has got a very distorted picture of value. We valued materialism. And that isn't where the value really lies. Yes, money is important. Yes, it transcends everything. But real value comes down to the human experience, which means how do you interact with other human beings? How do you interact with your family? Are you contributing or are you just taking? What is it that makes you get up every morning with, you know, that zest for life? We've lost that. So we're going to get a value shift whether we want it or not. I believe there's like a financial mother nature. And I think that's what we're going to experience. So there'll be some places that are doing actually better than they are now. For the most of us, it's going to be less materially, but perhaps our values will come back to a balance. We're totally out of balance and we're going to get a shock. It's not the end of the world. In fact, in my perspective, it's actually going to, in the long term, cause suffering, but come out stronger, better, more human, more interactive with a basis back to real values where we really, really love our human experience. David Borgen, author of The Silver Manifesto. David, I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show and discussing this with us. Matthew, it's been a true pleasure and you hit some really hardcore questions, which I really enjoyed. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Decrypt Daily. Tomorrow on the show. Which one is better? And what's the future hold for centralized exchanges and decentralized exchanges? It's been a heated debate. Will the DEX overtake the sex? Wait, the sex? Or are they on two separate paths? I'll see you tomorrow. Happy Halloween, everybody.